Welcome to the Your Oxygen Mask First podcast. I'm Erin Young, and this is a space where we explore ways to help the helpers. Because you can't help anyone before you help yourself. So sit back, put your own oxygen mask on, and enjoy the ride. Ho, 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 friends. We are in the throes of the holiday season, and I bet some of you are a little stressed out. Or maybe some of you are barely holding it together. Today, we are thrilled to be joined again by Dr. Kimberly Miller of Kimberly A. Miller & Associates. Dr. Miller was on our show last week talking about compassion fatigue, and we got such a huge response, we brought her back this week to delve a little bit more into stress management during the challenging times of the year. Welcome back, Dr. Miller. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Erin. I'm excited to be back with y'all. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with your last episode, tell us briefly about yourself and your company. Yeah, I'm a a law enforcement public safety psychologist, and I actually got my start um, working with public safety agencies in 2004 when I was a grad student at Ball State University. I was interested, sort of a complex project. I actually developed a new strength-based measure of psychological well-being, and I was interested in looking at wellness in the workplace, how do we assess wellness and and mental health of employees? How do we figure out what their strengths are? How do we figure out how to engage them, help them feel valued and taken care of in the workplace so that they can be more productive and engaged, et cetera. And I just ended up sort of spontaneously contacting my sheriff and asking him if he was interested because I figured you know, public safety professionals have stress all the time. And shouldn't we be more intentional about creating wellness within that culture? And I was very fortunate. The sheriff at the time, his name's George Sheridan in Muncie, Indiana. And he said, yes, he wanted to participate and hooked me up with other public safety agencies. And my work with public safety sort of grew from there. It extended into my dissertation where I um, sort of took that research to a deeper level. And now I've been blessed to have my own company where I travel the country and offer trainings. I think I have like 35 classes now I teach on things like change management, stress management, self-care, communication, conflict resolution, leadership, pretty much anything you could imagine. And I also help organizations hire better employees, evaluate and coach employees, create succession plans, do strategic planning, et cetera. And though I work the vast majority of my time with public safety, I do also work with corporations, small businesses, nonprofits, et cetera. So I am blessed um, to be able to work, especially in public safety, because I get to serve those who serve and protect and take care of all of us. So I'm very grateful for the blessed work that I get to do. Well, and we're very grateful for the work that you do for us, because I got to talk to you and see a presentation that you did at APCO in Las Vegas over the summer. And I think sometimes in public safety, we get so tunnel vision, we can't see the forest from the trees. It takes an outside person to come out and point all of our gaps out and all of our so-called flaws and tell us how to fix it. Well, let me say first, uh, you know, I am grateful for the opportunity to help people in your profession get better. But but let me be clear, I am just as flawed as all of you are. I am a human being that has mistakes and I fall short in I look at my role as 
you know, trying to share part of my journey and the lessons I've learned and help y'all get better. I mean, none of us are ever going to be perfect. We're all going to have struggles, but I think if we can share with each other and help each other, that's what our job is. That's, that's what our role is. And that's how I see my role. Perfect. So speaking of struggling, let's talk about some stress because um, it's a very stressful time of year and our jobs are pretty stressful as it is already. To add holiday stress on top of it is kind of crushing for some people. So what exactly is stress and where does it come from? Yeah, you know, I guess the formal definition, I talked about this in the last podcast, is stress is a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or very demanding circumstances. So when I read that, I'm like, oh, that's so like academic. (laughs) Um, And I don't think it fully describes the reality of what happens in our brain and our bodies. A few years ago, I came across a definition from an author named Eckhart Tolle. And he describes stress in a really unique way. He says, stress is when your brain and your body are reacting to an event or a circumstance and basically says to you, this should not be happening, whatever this is, whether it's a physical ailment you're suffering from, whether it's a difficult human you're encountering, whether it's an unfair circumstance at work, it's our body and our brain sort of pushing back against reality saying, this should not be happening. And that's what creates sort of the adrenaline dump, the tension in our bodies, the anger or frustration in our minds. That's what I think stress is because I think about when any difficult thing happens in my world, that's really what I'm doing. I'm pushing back going, hey, this isn't fair. This isn't right. I don't deserve this. So in essence, I am resisting reality. And he talks about resistance is really our only problem, which when I first read that, I'm like, he's crazy. I could write down 50 other things that are problems. It's not just resistance. But then I sat and I reflected more on that and thought about it for a couple of weeks. And I was like, I think he's right. I think stress is me pushing against whatever the reality is and not liking it and not wanting it to be the way it is instead of embracing what it is, whether I like it or not, and then jumping into coping mode, management mode, et cetera. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Why don't you give us an, an example of what that internal pressure is like? So you mean like what my brain says in a particular circumstance? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I can think about an interaction I was having uh, with a family member the other week. And they were behaving in a particular way. Um, and I know everybody on this call can relate to this because it's family time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people drink and don't show their best behavior around holidays. So I was interacting with a particularly challenging family member and they were behaving in a way that I didn't think was respectful. I didn't think was appropriate. So my initial thing in my head was like, what is wrong with this person? Now, it's interesting that I'm saying that because 
this person has been in my family a long time. <laughs> so it's not like this behavior was new, but still like, I'm like, what is wrong with this person? Why are they acting that way? You know, they shouldn't be saying these things that this family get together. They shouldn't be doing these things. And then immediately I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm resisting their reality. This is not the first day they've shown up and behaved this way at this family gathering. Instead of pushing back and burning a lot of energy, resisting the reality of their behavior, getting angry about the reality of their behavior, what if I instead just accepted that's where they are? Didn't try to change them, didn't try to get mad about it, just sat there and was like, you know what? If they're in that space, saying those things, behaving in that way, they really must be in a bad place. So that must be really awful for them. And sort of getting in this mindset of grace instead of being angry with them. Mm -hmm. And then also to take care of myself, I found a polite way to leave that conversation. Because even though I don't like what they were doing and I was really working on getting grace and some level of forgiveness and understanding that if they're behaving in a bad way, they must be in a bad space. I also realize it's not healthy for me to continue in a conversation with them. So I could find a way to be polite and excuse myself, which is a way of setting a boundary. And then I can move on instead of constantly sitting there getting mad because they were doing whatever they were doing or feeling like I had to change them or wanting to leave, but then being guilty about staying there. You know, I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to resist how they're acting. I'm going to offer some grace because that's what I can do in my own mind. And then I can find a polite way to exit the situation. So I'm no longer in a situation that's not healthy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You change your reaction to the situation because you can't change them. Yes, 100%. What about stress, internal stress that we place on ourselves? Like we have so many expectations that we think that we have to meet. You know, the tree has to be perfect or I have to make all of these goodies or gift giving and, you know, presenting yourself in a certain way. You know, I'm 40 pounds heavier than I was last year. And when I see these family members, they're going to have questions for me. You know, how do you how do you mitigate that? Yeah, I think that's hard too. You know, granted, we have these external things like family members that we can't control. So we have to figure out our own way to navigate that instead of, again, trying to change them. And I think that is A, super hard to do. But B, I really think it's harder to change the way we treat ourselves. Because when you think about it, we always have tapes that play. And many of us, and we've had these playing for decades, have negative tapes that play. I'm not good enough. I'll never be enough. I'm not like so-and-so. Um, I can never achieve this. And, and some of us, because of the negative tapes, push ourselves to be more or do more or prove ourselves in some way or become perfectionistic trying to be better, et cetera. And that puts a lot of undue stress on ourselves. So I'll use a couple examples in my world. And you and I had talked about these the other day. So one of the things I've struggled with for my own, you know, self-talk is I've put on about 25 pounds over the last year and a half. And I have a lot of excuses for that. You know, I'm on the road a lot. 
Um, I quote unquote deserve this good, rich food after I've traveled, you know, fill in the blank. And I have a bunch of other excuses, but the reality is I have not been intentional about the food I always eat. And that has of course created more stress because my clothes don't fit. I have to go buy new clothes, you know, that whole negative cycle. And then I was like, well, you know what? I actually am in control of that. As much as I'd want to say, well, this happens because I travel. I know a lot of people who travel even more than me and they don't gain weight. So I'm like, Ugh, you know, I have to look at myself. So I've just tried to be more intentional over the last probably four months. As an example, not always having an extra drink, not always having a sweet, a dessert, being more intentional about buying fruits and vegetables and including those in my meals. And I'll tell you just these small little changes I've lost 15 pounds. Awesome. And of course, I feel way better because of that. And it's not because I'm having salad every day or going back to the gym because I still haven't made it to the gym. I'm still on that journey. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, instead of always having a dessert, I'm not. I'm going to have a dessert twice a week. Or, you know, I might enjoy a glass of champagne, but I don't need four. One is enough. Or another thing you and I talked about the other day was you know, baking. And that's another example you brought up. And when I, this year I baked a couple batches of fudge and instead of me eating half of it, <laughs> I'm like, let me have three pieces and then I can give the rest away as presents. I don't need to eat all of it or leave a huge tray. And every time I walk in the kitchen, have a piece, which I was in a habit of that. I'm like, let me have three pieces for myself and then bring some joy to other people. Now, along with that, because I enjoy baking, um, I will also tell you that I had a bunch of other grand plans of baking this year. And probably more than half of the things I baked did not work. And I had to throw them away. Oh, no. I did not feel good about that at all because I was trying to make these fun things for the family. And of course, I also wanted to give some things away to people. And when over half of them ended up in the trash can, I did not feel very good, but I was like, you know what? This is just funny. And so why don't I just laugh? I mean, it's like sugar, eggs, butter, and flour. I can get over it. It's not like I spent $100 bacon, but it just became sort of this running joke in the family of, okay, so she's going to cook again. Is it going to work or not? Let's all take bets. <laughs> and I wasn't upset by that. It sort of became the fun thing. And so I'm proud that the fudge worked. And then the other day we did Christmas cookies. So those have been my two successes. Everything else, horrible failure. And instead of, again, getting upset about it, it's like we just made a joke about it and laughed about it. And just have had this lighthearted approach. And so I've had to change my own internal dialogue saying, you know, if things don't work out right, maybe that's just a chance for me to learn how to cope, have a little fun, you know, embrace my own flawed humanity. And it's really about enjoying the holidays and cooking with my family is a fun thing to do. And if I get all angry about it, then it becomes not a fun thing. You know, even, even if it fails, we can still laugh about it and have a good time. And also, too, you touched upon embracing those small little victories. And I think a lot of us, because either we're so busy or we're so focused on the big picture that we don't congratulate ourselves for 
not eating that extra cookie or walking past the fudge on the community table or, you know, not having a drink that night or not having five drinks that night because it's not going to make me, you know, skinny, happier or healthier in just by that one moment in and of itself. But lots of little moments put together make progress, right? Yeah, you know, that was interesting you said that about, you know, my own journey this year to, or I guess this last four months really to try to take some of this weight off I'd put on. You know, of course, I started with not having the dessert or an extra drink or extra carbs, bread, whatever it is. And of course, the next day, I'm not 10 pounds lighter or even one pound lighter. But I was like, you know, it, I didn't put it on overnight. I'm not going to take it off overnight. So I was just intentional about every day thinking more intentionally about what I was eating. If I wanted a cookie, fine. Then I might not have a bagel in the morning or whatever. Or if I wanted to have an extra drink, then I'd have a salad for dinner or whatever it was. So I was just more intentional about it and trusted that over time, making the small choices, which didn't stress me out, I'd reap a benefit. And then I did, and I've lost like 15 pounds and it's been huge. Um, And I haven't felt like I've sacrificed and again, drinking water and only eating salad. Um, I still get to eat pretty much what I want, but I've just not ate everything I wanted the second that I wanted it. And I think like you said, we have to be proud of ourselves each day because if we aren't and we beat ourselves up instead, then our body and mind, remember, is going to push back and say, this shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't feel beat up all the time. I shouldn't feel bad about myself all the time. And then we'll somehow revolt and then eat a gallon of ice cream or you know whatever it is. I think we have to be gentle with ourselves and do the small things and be proud of ourselves for the little things we, we can do every day. And talking about the physical symptoms of stress, because you touched upon a, a little bit, how, how does stress kind of manifest in ways that we don't even realize it? Yeah. And, you know, everybody's different. I'm not going to say that the symptoms I'm going to offer everybody experiences. And obviously some of the symptoms I'm going to describe are not just stress-related. Sometimes there's actually injury to the body or other problems in our physical body that manifest these. But in general, I think headaches and migraines are one, and I honestly have been suffering for those lately. When we're tense, and I think about dispatchers on the console with their arms typing and clicking a mouse and the tension in their neck, in their back, sitting all day in that chair, just physically sitting all day is stressful for your body because our bodies weren't made to just physically sit. So any level of excessive tension in your body, I think neck pain, back pain, headaches can be a sign of stress. Certainly any gastrointestinal issues, whether it's acid reflux or tummy aches, or now you can't eat a certain food anymore. Ulcers, the number one cause of ulcers is internalized stress. Another one is exhaustion. You know, a lot of comm centers, they have mandatory overtime for their dispatchers. 
And so people are going on little sleep. They have the stress of the work. They have the stress of the callers. They have the stress of their coworkers. And you can just get totally exhausted. And of course, when you're exhausted, you have reduced resistance to illness. So you're more likely to get sick. You also have also have reduced resistance to stress. So you'll find too, when you're in an exhausted place, you're also more irritable, more frustrated, more angry because, and we talked about in the last episode, sort of your bucket's empty. And when your bucket's empty, you don't have tolerance for anything So it sort of becomes this cumulative process. You're already stressed and irritable and tired. Your neck hurts and your tummy hurts. And then you get the difficult call or you have to interact with a difficult coworker. And then it sort of throws you over the edge and you become more stressed and more frustrated. So those are, to me, some of the main symptoms of stress. But keep in mind, those can also be due to other things and not just stress solely. I notice with myself, too, when I... Like put my clothes on or look at myself in the mirror and I get kind of bummed out about how I'm going in the opposite direction physically of where I'm trying to go. That just kind of ruins my mood for the whole dang day. And it makes me short with people and I just feel blah. Is that because I'm putting too much internal stress upon myself because of an external thing that I'm not controlling very well? Well, to me, what you're saying is really you have a negative internal dialogue. You know, your negative tape, and I don't know specifically what it's saying, but it's saying, I don't look good. I don't feel good about myself. Is, is that correct? Mm-hmm. So I think when we start, and whether we look in the mirror or we just put our clothes on and they're too tight or whatever, we immediately get in this stress place and talk bad about ourselves and get down on ourselves instead of saying, well, let me understand how I got here. Like, let me offer myself some grace. You know, I'm doing the best I can, you know, when time's short and I don't have time to always cook and I'm eating on the run. Yeah. I haven't always made the best choices, but you know what? I'm doing the best I can. doesn't mean I can't make a better choice this afternoon or a better choice tomorrow, but instead of, of beating ourselves up, I would encourage you to start with you know what? I'm doing the best I can. Cause I think that's the reality. Mm-hmm. Then the second thing I would really encourage everybody to practice, whether you are experiencing stress or not, whether you have a negative tape playing or not, I would really encourage everybody to practice gratitude. Now I know that seems sort of cheesy and it seems almost too simple to be powerful, but I have found having for the last, gosh, almost two years, having created a gratitude list, it has really changed my mindset in my life. Hmm. I try every day to get up and write down three things in a journal that I'm grateful for before I get out of bed. And then before I go to sleep, I try again to write down three things that can't be the same. They always have to be different. But at the end of the day, what are three things I'm grateful for? And by doing that, I intentionally bookend my day with positivity and things that are going well. And it's really helped me to have better mindset, a better outlook, not only for myself, but for other people. 
because by doing that small activity, and it really doesn't take more than like 30 seconds in the beginning and ending of the day, it really just says, you know what, despite where I am in my own personal journey, despite where my life's at, despite where other humans that I might interact with today are, there is still good in the world and I still have blessings. And I, when I can stay in that mindset, I beat myself up less. I'm less angry at other people and I have way less stress. Well, that's an amazing idea. I think we should all try it. So let's switch gears a little bit because you had touched upon this and you said the magic B word earlier, boundaries. So we're going to be with family if we're lucky. We're going to be with people that we may or may not agree with. And we're going to be with coworkers because we're first responders or helpers and probably have to work some part of the holiday season. So what is good about setting boundaries and how does it help relieve stress or mitigate stress? So boundary really simply so that we're all on the same page with the definition is setting a line or a rule or an expectation, however you want to define it, of what's okay and what's not okay for you. And I think we all have to be intentional about setting those in our personal lives and in our professional lives. So I'll go back to that difficult family member that I was initially frustrated with, but then got in a place of grace about and then exited the conversation. So in the past, I had felt from guilt or whatever that I had to stay engaged with that person until they were done with whatever they were saying or the point they were making or whatever. And I would sit there and engage with this person when I didn't want to. And the whole time I would be angry and frustrated about it going, I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to be around this person. You know, I'm trying to be polite. I'm trying to be the, and I'm originally from the South. So I'm right. Trying to be the polite Southern woman which <laughs> has gotten me in trouble a time or two. And then I was like, you know what? Sitting here with this person is exhausting me. Like it's not fun and it's taking water out of my bucket. So why am I sitting here doing this? I don't need to be a jerk about it. But I need to find a way to exit politely the circumstance. And that's a way of setting a boundary. Given this person's mental space at the time, it wouldn't have done me any good to say, hey, I don't really want to have this conversation with you right now or what you're saying isn't appropriate. Because I also witnessed other people saying it to this person and they just started yelling louder. So I'm like, yeah, setting a boundary in that way is not going to work. So I just found a polite way to excuse myself which is a way of setting a boundary. Other ways of setting boundaries, and I'll give you a couple examples. One is whether this is a professional person or a family member saying to them, I'm not going to engage with you in this conversation when you are fill in the blank, yelling at me, being disrespectful, cutting me down, being judgmental, etc." You can say, you know, I'm happy to talk with you about A, B, or C, but I want to do it in a situation where you can be calm and be respectful. And by telling people, hey, I'm not going to talk to you when you're screaming at me or yelling at me or being condescending is a way of setting a boundary. And I don't think we do that enough in our personal lives and our professional lives. Many of us sort of, quote unquote, take it from others 
We let people treat us with disrespect. We let people be judgmental. We let people say things about us that are not okay. And we don't stand up for ourselves for whatever reason. Um, But that ends up making us angry, frustrated, et cetera, and teaches other people that it's okay to treat us like that. So we are responsible for setting the tone about how we will allow ourselves to be treated. Another example of setting a boundary has nothing to do with the way you talk to other people. And I want people to understand your best way to manage stress is not by trying to change the world around you. It's by trying to change yourself. So here's an example. And I talked about this, I think, on the last podcast. All we ever have in life is the now. So this is you and I talking right now on this podcast on Christmas Eve. All we have is the now. But too many times in our nows, we burn energy living in the past in regret, anger, lack of forgiveness, wanting things to have been different or reminiscing over the good old days. Or in the now, we burn a bunch of energy living in the future, waiting for things to be different, hoping they're going to be different, wanting it to already be January 20th. Instead of enjoying that it's Christmas Eve, whether we're at work saving people's lives, we're baking brownies that aren't going to work out, (laughs) or we're sitting by the fire enjoying some caroling with our family. Too many times we're living somewhere else and we're missing the now. So probably the best thing that I know has helped me and I've really coached other people on Set boundaries in your own mind about where you are and what you focus on. Now, I will tell you, though that that I think this is the most powerful tool, it is probably also the most difficult skill to master. Because many of our minds go, 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 go all the time. And I think about telecommunicators, gosh, your mind's going a million miles a minute. You're multitasking. You're thinking about everything. You're typing stuff into the CAD. You're talking to people on the radio. Then you're talking to the caller. Then you're talking to your coworker. All of this at the same time. It's super hard for y'all, especially, I think, to slow your mind down. But in your now, whatever that is, Can you just work to be present in the now? Don't dread that Aunt Susie's coming over in five hours and then for the next five hours, get in this panic and dread Aunt Susie's coming. And meanwhile, as you're dreading Aunt Susie, you're eating all the fudge and having 10 drinks, right? That just creates more stress. If Aunt Susie's coming over in five hours, then make a plan for 20 minutes of how you're going to deal with Aunt Susie when she comes over. And then enjoy the next five hours, whether you're cooking, you're watching Christmas movies, whatever it is. And after your family event, when you're tucking your kids in bed tonight, getting ready for Santa to come, don't stress about what might happen tomorrow. Enjoy tucking your kids in bed and reading them the night before Christmas and wrapping up the last minute presents and checking the stockings 
and putting out the milk and cookies for Santa and put boundaries around your own thoughts and say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm also not going to worry about Friday or Thursday or Wednesday when I have to go back to work. I'm just going to be here now and enjoy the now. And for me, a lot of that is just refocusing. And when I when my mind wanders and things from the past or things for the future, I'm like, wait, 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 nope, come back. What's going on right now? What's going on right here? And how can I refocus? And that helps me reduce my stress because I'm working to be fully present in the moment and not burn negative energy on things I don't control or how other people are acting or what might come in five minutes or what happened three days ago. And I will tell you that practice, this this idea of presence and mindfulness and putting the boundaries in my own head has significantly reduced my stress, made me a happier person, And also given other people the gift of my full presence and my full attention when I'm with them. I think that is a huge step that a lot of people really need to take. A lot of us, especially in the first responder or helping world, don't really take the time to be intentional with their energy, like you've said so many different times. And I think that that tip is super helpful. I know too that I, for me, the biggest thing that helped me was to unplug from work when I'm not at work. So making sure that my work emails don't go to my phone. I don't log in to check what's happening at work. I'm not talking about work on my days off. And I'm, you know, I love my people and I have great friends. But when I first started as a dispatcher, those were my only friends. So we talked about work at work and we talked about work at home. And I think that it's been nice to kind of get a different type of group of friends that are from different disciplines and, you know, we don't have to rehash the last domestic over and over and over again or what that officer said last week. I know you're supposed to interview me, but how have you done that in two things I'm asking? So the first is, how have you been able to turn off from your electronics when you're not at work? Because, boy, I think everyone on our planet's addicted to it. And then how have you been able to build outside relationships where you have friends outside of public safety to help with your balance and your mindset? How have you been able to accomplish that when so many others in your profession struggle with it? At least for the electronics, it has been not being so connected to work was um it was a hard it was a hard break. I was on vacation and got a crappy email from a supervisory peer after I had just promoted and it was really, really hard to deal with because I was in LA and I, I, there's nothing I could have done about the situation at the time. But then I started thinking about it, was getting anxious about it and it kind of ruined my vacation. And I felt horrible about that because that was my, my doing. I put my intention on focusing on something I couldn't control. So I told my husband, like, no, I'm not doing my email anymore. Took it off my phone and then went to my boss and said, not going to be able to check my email on my phone. So if you need something from me, you're going to have to call me, but don't, I would appreciate not to be bothered on my days off with work related stuff. And that was perfectly acceptable to, to her and the organization. But we feel, especially when we promote, I think we feel like we are so important in the organization that we have to be in the middle of everything all the time because that's kind of the nature of the beast, but it was so refreshing and it it felt so good to not have to worry about 
it 24-7. As far as electronic devices are concerned, we are still a little bit addicted to it. <laughs> it's really hard <laughs> to not have a, a you know your phone in your hand because our attention spans. And the job has taught me to be a multitasker and I can't focus on one thing at one time at a time anymore. So if we're watching a movie and it's not a hundred percent engaging, I need something else to do, whether, you know, I used to crochet and knit, but now it's like a play mm-hmm. game on my phone because mm-hmm. the job has taught me to work efficiently with divided attention that it, that bleeds over into the home and, and, and casual life too. Yeah. Um, as far as the friends, what really actually helped is joining a gym. I started oh, cross, yeah. cross, CrossFit about five and a half years ago, and CrossFit's a very big community-based, very much a part of being with your people. Mm-hmm. And so the CrossFit people started hanging out with each other outside of the gym, and then you meet other people through those CrossFit people, and you kind of build your whole kind of outside of community yeah. just through a gym. So it doesn't have to be a gym, I think, for people. It could be any type of outside interest that's not first responder, law enforcement, military-based. Yeah. Um, I think the military is actually kind of different because they work better with their people for mental health challenges and stuff from what I've talked to from other podcasts. But I think it's just reaching out and finding other people that are different from you that you can learn from and and have something else to talk to talk about other than something crappy that happened in your work. Yeah. And I really liked what you said about the boundaries around electronics. I think all of us struggle with that. Um, I have really, and it's interesting because it's not just first responders, but I'll go out to dinner or lunch with a bunch of different people and I'll see what everyone does, no matter their profession. Most people, when they sit down, they put their phone on the table face up. And yes, some of these people are technically on call. Some of these people are supervisors. I get it, right? But we all don't need to sit there with our phone on the table face up because when we do that, it also subtly sends the message, you know what, you're not really that important because Mm -hmm. if I get a text or an email or a call, I'm going to take it. Now, again, take off the table emergency situations, right? Because we all know that people in public safety have to respond to emergency, but most calls are not emergent calls. So I have worked myself to leave my phone in my purse or a pocket, not even put it on the table. And if I'm expecting some call for something and it isn't an important call that I have to take, I'll tell the person I'm at lunch with or dinner with and say, hey, in the next 20 minutes, I'm expecting a call. I apologize in advance. I will need to take it. I have to answer this client's questions. But after that, I'm going to put my phone away because I want to give you my attention. But I see that not just in my interactions with my colleagues at restaurants. I'll see it with family members and parents with their kids. I'll see a family out at a restaurant and the parents are on their phones at the table. The kids are on their phones at the table and no one is talking. The kids have headphones on too. Yes. And so then they can't even hear what their parents are saying. So Mm -hmm. I think this isn't just something for us as adults to think about. And as you were saying, trying to find a way to put a boundary around how much we're on our phones, but challenge our kids to put them down too. Some people do no technology Tuesdays. 
So nobody in the family's on their phone, you know, Tuesday evenings at all. I think it's great when people ban phones at the dinner table. So you actually Mm -hmm. have to have conversations. And I think all of us, even those of us who are not telecommunicators, get the addicted, fractured attention. And you see people, even when they're eating at a restaurant by themselves, they're on their phone. Or there's a lull in a conversation and everybody whips their phone out. Like that's the first thing to do instead of just sitting in a moment of silence or contemplating something or whatever. And everybody jokes about the younger generation, right? They have no interpersonal skills. Well, yeah, they're on their phone all the time. But I mean, I see adults losing interpersonal skills too because they're on their phone all the time. They've forgotten how to connect. Mm-hmm. I had an observation while we were at APCO too, is that I was so excited to talk to other dispatchers and telecommunicators, but every time I tried to cozy up or talk to somebody, they had their phone in their hand, but too, they didn't want to talk to me. They didn't want to talk to a stranger. We've kind of lost those social communication skills too, because if you don't know somebody personally, you're not going to want to talk to them. At least that's that's what I found at APCO. And we all do the same thing. We all have the same profession. We all have that one commonality that we could talk to, but a lot of people just didn't want to strike up a conversation or it could have been my RBF. I don't know. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I walked into a class by a trainer I really like. His name is Doug Showalter and uh, he presented a couple of times at APCO and he was, he's so funny and boy speaks the truth, was talking about that he's gone to a lot of different public safety conferences. And when he'll go to like law enforcement conferences, he'll see, you know, in between sessions, officers in the hall chit-chatting, even when they they don't know each other, because they'll go, oh, I see you're on the SWAT team, or I see your badge says you're a detective, and they'll share stories or whatever. And he said, oh, and then I'll go to firefighter conferences, and all the firefighters you'll see talking in the hallways, even when they don't know each other. And he goes, And then I come to APCO and then these dispatchers don't want to talk to each other (laughs) and sort of look at each other like, well, who are you and why are you dressed like that? And you look funny. And, and I was like, really, is that what happens? And then I guess it is because that was your experience. And I, I don't want to say that's just dispatch. I don't think that's fair at all because I have actually seen people at law enforcement conferences be snobbish to one another and not talk and say, oh, well, they're from this department and I'm not going to talk to them. So I think that's really interesting, but I think you're right. I think we have all become more comfortable in our own world with our own people. And now we have a very comfortable escape being on our phone. So we don't have to say hello We don't have to build new relationships because we have our relationships in some ways sit on our phone. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's another way I feel like adults are losing their interpersonal connections is because we rely too much on the phones and our own little circle instead of challenging ourselves to expand our circles. Which ultimately leads to to stress because you have a very limited circle of who you can go to when you need to vent or when you need help. And sometimes you can feel like you're alone, even if you're surrounded by people. Totally. And some of the times, I mean, if you, if you just limit yourself to the people you currently interact with, let's say people in your comm center, not all of those are your favorite people. Let's be real. Some of those people stress you out. Some of those are the difficult employees And as you and I were talking about the other day, some of those people 
are really good at contaminating us. And I know that you said you wanted to talk before the end of the podcast today about the poop emojis I use in class. So (laughs) I'll let you explain to people what those were and why that stuck with you. And then I'm happy to expand on that. So Kim had an amazing analogy that I saw in her Think Tank presentation at APCO, which she had a handful of brown poop emoji stuffies. And she was talking about how when you're dealing with the public or when you're dealing with other people, you can't allow their crap basically to get stuck on you. Because what happens is, and she, you know, kind of Velcros the the poop emojis to herself, you're walking around with other people's crap that has nothing to do with you. And it's not your own. Like you have enough trouble dealing with your own stuff, but now you're weighed down by poop emojis and other people's crap. And it's just hysterical. And I really uh, truly appreciated it. And I now tell the story to all my people too. See that guy, that guy that just yelled at you on the phone, don't take his poop with you. Brush it off. Let's get to the next call. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And that's another visual prop I like to use in my classes. And I think a really good message for everybody today and a tool you can use. Because in life, as we grow older, there's more poop that attaches to us over time, right? So we've all had difficult things in our childhood or our teenage years or our young adult life. We've had people lie to us, betray us, abuse us, hurt us, do horrible things to us. And what usually happens is we end up taking that pain on, not finding a way to let it go, and it ends up sort of controlling us and weighing us down over time. And then when you get into the high-stress world of public safety, boy, there's poop coming at you from all levels. You got the poop from the callers. You got the poop from the people on the radio. You got your poop from your coworkers. Maybe the poop from your boss. Then you go home. You have poop from your partners and your kids and your Aunt Sally and your mama. And, and then the poop you do to yourself that Aaron and I were already talking about today, our negative self-talk, our perfectionistic tendencies, etc. And so we tend to all get weighed down by all this crap that stresses us out. It's like a constant drain on our energy bucket. We walk around again, often living in the past, carrying the pain from the past getting angry in the present about the way a caller treated us, we take that so personally or the way a coworker treats us and we take it so personally, we get so angry about it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't set a boundary and say, hey, you know, you're not going to talk to me like that. Absolutely, you can set a boundary, but don't take on other people's crap. (laughs) most of the time when people treat you bad, it's their crap. It's not yours. Let's go back to my family member who was very difficult. The reason this person was doing everything they're doing, 100%, they are in a very bad place in their life. It has nothing to do with me. Were they throwing some poop my way in that conversation? Absolutely. Did it have anything to do with me? No. Was I originally irritated and frustrated? Yes. 
But then I was like, you know what? This is not my shit. This is their shit. I'm going to find some grace. I'm going to set a boundary and excuse myself from this conversation. And I'm not going to worry about it. And I did. So a a thing, if you think metaphorically, another visual aid to keep the poop off, imagine buying a can of Pam, right? The nonstick cooking spray. Now, I don't want you to literally get out of bed and spray Pam on you. But imagine (laughs) if you had this pan of Pam and you went shh, right? And metaphorically sprayed yourself every morning. You would have this amazing nonstick coating and all the poop would slide off. And people say, okay, well, that's great. So then how do you make this happen? Well, number one, I keep poop emojis with me all the time. And Aaron saw them at the class. I carry them in my bag all the time to remind me to ask myself, is this my crap or their crap? Right? Because if it's mine... I got to deal with it. I have to address it, whether it's a stress of my own making, it's a negative self-talk, whatever. I need to work through my own crap and I need to let it go. But if it's somebody else's poop, I am not going to own that. I got to let it slide off because it's about them. It's not about me. And I don't want to burn negative energy. So I have the Pam too reminds me to let stuff go. Again, it doesn't mean I don't set a boundary from time to time. It doesn't mean I choose to not engage from time to time with people. But it reminds me many of the things that happen in the world are not about me. It's about the other person. And I choose to not burn negative energy on stuff like that. So what does the Pam look like in reality? So for me, things that are my Pam, number one, it's setting those boundaries in my brain. I am not going to stress about this right now. I'm going to be present with Aaron right now on this podcast on Christmas Eve. I am not going to worry about so-and-so that I'll see tomorrow at Christmas. So that's one way I use Pam is I get refocused, being intentional, being mindful in the moment, not worrying about the past or the future. Another thing I already mentioned, which is setting healthy boundaries, saying what's okay and what's not okay. Another thing that I do is music. Whether somebody somebody has aggravated me or whether it's stress of my own making and I'm in a bad mental place with myself over choices I've made or something I said or whatever, music actually changes your brain chemistry. So I'll use music as a part of my Pam to learn how to let stuff go. If I put on a really good song, an inspiring song, a motivating song, you know what? Physically and mentally, I already feel better. And I'm starting to let some of that negative stuff go. Another part of my Pam that I already mentioned is the practice of gratitude. It's hard to stay in a bad mental space when every morning and every evening I bookend my day with what is good in my life. It's hard to stay in a bad space when I remind myself every day there's good in the morning and there's good in the evening. The last thing I do that's probably really, really helped me probably the most is my mindset about stress and challenges. I used to say all the time, well, this thing happened to me. Well, this person did this thing to me. 
this circumstance occurred to me. You know, I can't believe what happened to me. I was very much in this victim mindset by assuming I had no control over the challenging things or the negative things that happened. So all I did was take the word two and turn it into four. So now when difficult things happen or challenging people come into my life, I always say, how is this happening for me instead of to me? Because if I believe, and I truly do, if I believe the challenges are coming for me, my mindset and my response is 100% different. So instead of resisting, remember we talked about before, when stress comes, when the difficult person comes, when the difficult news comes, we push back mentally and physically and say, this should not be happening. We're resisting. But when I've changed my mind and I say, okay, this is happening for me. All right, so where's the gift and where's the lesson? Because at minimum, I've learned for myself every difficulty, every challenge, every unwanted thing is at minimum a chance for me to use my coping skills to build resilience and practice better character. And when I remind myself of that, every challenge has a gift and has a lesson and gives me an opportunity to practice. And in that way, and in that use of my PAM, I have less poop that sticks to me and I use the challenges as an opportunity to grow, build my resilience instead of having it be something that tears me down, stresses me out, makes me sick, gives me headaches, keeps me up at night, fill in the blank. And that I will tell you has changed my life for the better. I have to ask with your family member. Uh-huh. Did you say bless your heart before you walked away? You know what? You're so funny. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I was thinking that because um, unfortunately, this person is a Southern person. So if they heard me say bless their heart, they know that it would have been an insult. So <laughs> I <laughs> did not say that. But but and I don't want to say this in an insulting manner at all to this person. But it is sort of bless your heart. Because mm-hmm. they are not in a mindset to use any of the tools I described today. And it's sad to me um, because I always have hope for, for everybody. I mean, my gosh, if I've been able to change myself over the years, and I used to be this angry, non-forgiving, stressed out, perfectionistic person, whew, I was a mess. If I can change myself, I really believe everybody can change themselves if they want to. but. This person is in such a place of pain and unhappiness. They're not in a place to receive or listen to another way of being in the world. And and I think a lot of people can understand this next concept. They've really embraced being a victim. You know, they really walk around with a poor pitiful me and nothing will ever be better. And my life is so terrible. And I hope one day they, they can get out of that. But 
I'm also not, I've also learned that when people have really embraced that kind of a mindset, nothing I can say will be helpful and they don't want to hear it. So in some ways I was sort of thinking, well, bless your heart because they really don't know another way to be. And I think that's really sad because I really think this person has some things they can be proud of in their life. I think this person has value to offer the world and value to offer the family, but they're in such a bad place. They can't. And I just think that's really sad. But again, for me, instead of feeling guilty about that, or boy, I used to, especially, you know how you get a little education, you think you know everything. When I was first (laughs) in my psychology classes, especially in grad school, like, God, did I try to save everybody in my family from their own stuff? Totally. And they did not appreciate it. So now I keep most of my opinions to myself. (laughs) But then when people ask and they generally are interested in like new coping skills or whatever, I'll offer it. But sadly, this person is not in that space. So I've also learned to manage my energy better by not going around and trying to save the world. I just try to do better myself and offer suggestions for people who ask, but I'm really responsible for myself and how I navigate the world and how I take care of myself. And Mm -hmm. that's the best I can do. I think that's a huge takeaway too, for us is that you're responsible for yourself. You're responsible for your own bucket, your own energy, the way that you're intentional and that you cannot save the world as much as we try. So we have to brush the poop off and move on. Yes. And I encourage y'all, maybe if there's a center director or center manager or supervisors on the podcast, buy some Pam and poop emojis for your people. And it's really helpful. Like when somebody gets slimed on the phone by a caller, go up to their console and drop a little poop emoji and say, look, you got to let this crap go. And everybody will laugh and it'll be funny, but it's a visual reminder or go up when somebody's having a bad day and say, look, did you put your Pam on this morning? Find a way to let stuff go, build your own resilience, set a better boundary, control your own energy. And also, you know, with the way you talked about setting boundaries with your work email, that's another form of Pam. You know, if you're always on your work email, there's no Pam. You're going to get contaminated by a bunch of crap all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's another good example for people. When you can turn off the phone and turn off the email and not check it twenty every 20 seconds, that's putting some Pam on so you don't get contaminated by people in work when you're off. So the opposite of Pam is stickiness, right? Yes. So do you have any tools in your tool bag for helping us stick to any goals or New Year's resolutions this year? Oh boy, that's tough. You know, I am sort of on the fence and I'm not here to say there's, there's a perfect answer for this. I'm sort of on the fence with the value of New Year's resolutions because I think in my whole life, I've kept none of them. (laughs) Oh, I hate them too. I know people love them and it's a great new fresh start, new year, new you kind of thing. I personally am not a big fan, but I know other people are. So I thought I'd ask the question for everybody. Yeah. You know, and I won't say I haven't kept them for the short term, But I think my problem is I set too big of a goal, right? Like here's an example, actually from last year, I'm going to write my first book, right? Because I have like 10 books in my head 
And a lot of my clients have been saying, oh, we want to have your books. We want to have your books. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. In 2018, I'm going to write a book. Okay. It is almost 2019 and I haven't written a book. (laughs) So I feel bad about myself versus, right, here would have been a better goal for me for January of 2018. Get your book started. That would have been way easier, right? And some because if I would have even typed one sentence, I could say, "Hey, I achieved that goal." So I realized for myself, I tend to set really, really big goals, and I don't make a plan. I just have this big dream, but I don't make a like plan and shrink it down to smaller goals and that kind of stuff. So I have like this dream, but I don't make it manifest because it's sort of just a dream and I don't put a plan in action. So that's why I haven't achieved them Mm -hmm. for this next year. I'm not going to call it a new year's resolution, but I'm going to sort of call it a business goal. And y'all can check in on me about starting my book and also starting my online classes. I've had a lot of people ask me to put my classes online um, because not everybody can come to conferences or whatever. So that's another one of my goals is to start getting my classes online. So here's my thought. Don't call it a New Year's resolution if you really want it to be a lifestyle change. I would call it, this is how I'm going to improve my life for the future. Because you wouldn't want to make it just, if you want to, let's say, get back into shape, whatever that is, building muscle, having more cardio endurance, taking yoga and being more flexible, getting into meditation, however you want to get yourself in shape, your body, your mind, whatever. Make it more of a lifestyle change because you wouldn't want it to just last one year. And then set up the small goals. So the first goal, let's say you want to get into yoga go take a couple classes. Most places will offer a class or two for free. So say in January, I'm going to go to two different classes, try out some different studios, see which one I like. By February, I want to make a commitment to a particular studio or do drop-in classes or whatever. And then say, maybe I'll commit to doing two yoga classes a month. Well, maybe you end up going to one a week, But if you set a realistic goal, if it's realistic to get to two a month and you start with that, I think, A, you're much more likely to achieve it. You have something, as we said earlier in the podcast, you can celebrate the small victories. Yes, you might ideally want to go once a week, but if you can make it twice a month, yay, that's better than zero, which is where you might be now. So... If you want to change your life, have a vision of the future, but make very realistic and almost sometimes it's better to underestimate what you can actually achieve rather than overestimating and saying, well, I'm going to go do this four times a week or I'm going to have a salad every night or maybe say I'm going to have a, have a salad once a week or whatever shrink it down into something you will actually do and then find a way to measure it, hold yourself accountable. Erin, you gave a great example of getting involved in a community, CrossFit. When you have other people who are looking for you at class and you don't show up, they're going to call you or text you and go, hey, what's up? Where are you? 
So another thing I think that's helpful to jump into new habits is having an accountability partner, having other people that you want to spend time with who are going to support you on your journey, not people who are going to shame you or embarrass you or yell at you, but people that care enough about you to say, hey, let's go for a walk or meet me at that yoga class or let's go for a hike today. Whatever it is, find other people who have the same desire and realistic expectations that can help you on your journey because it's hard to do any of this stuff alone. I am anxious to apply some of the things that we've learned today and we've talked about. Is there anything else that we haven't touched upon that you want to talk about before we leave? I guess the one thing I'll say, and I've realized this about myself, it's sort of been one of the aha moments on my own journey And it gets back to that sort of victim mentality and where we put our energy. I have realized over probably the last 10 or 20 years that I create more of my stress and problems than anybody else ever does or ever will do. So what I've worked to do is get out of my own way. As an example, if I know I have to get up early the next day, instead of saying up and justifying that I need to binge on whatever TV episode I've missed for the last three days because I've been working a lot, which I used to do all the time. And then, of course, next day be exhausted because I stayed up way too late. I'm like, you know what? I can watch 20 minutes of one of the episodes that I've missed. And then I'm going to go to sleep because I have to get up really early tomorrow and I don't want to be exhausted. And though it doesn't feel good, right, because I feel like I, quote unquote, deserve to binge watch whatever TV and veg out and decompress. I also know if I make that choice, I set up the next day to feel stressed, to feel exhausted, to be irritable because I'm exhausted. So I have tried to ask myself every day, what choices am I making today that are serving me? And what choices am I making today that's creating more stress? Whether that I'm procrastinating or I purposely eat, you know, eight pieces of fudge instead of two, because then I'm just going to feel bad about myself if I do that. And so I've tried to be more intentional about that. And when I ask myself, when I'm making this choice, is this reducing stress or increasing stress? boy, nine times out of 10, I make a better choice that ends up reducing my stress. So I encourage everybody to find ways that you're in your own way and figure out how you can get out of your own way by making healthier choices, trying to find ways you can get to bed earlier, going to get a massage, to decompress, going for a walk, taking a 30-minute drive by yourself in silence, whatever you need to do for your self-care, because as public safety professionals and as servants, you always put yourself last. But doing so depletes your own bucket, so you don't have any energy left for you, and you often don't have any energy left for your family. So find ways to fill your own bucket, to do your own self-care, even if it's just a few minutes a day, 
because that will reduce stress in your life and that will actually enable you to bring more value to people at work and at home. Well, thank you, Kimberly, for joining us again. I appreciate you coming back for round two and taking time out of your busy holiday schedule to give us some tips and tricks to make life a little bit easier for us. Can you tell us again how listeners can get a hold of you if they would like to hear a little bit more from you? Thanks, Erin. It was my pleasure to be with you all today. You can reach me on my website, KimberlyMillerConsulting.com. There's a contact page there. You can send me an email. You can also sign up for my newsletter. That's on the front uh, center of my homepage. You can just drop your email in there if you're interested in getting my newsletter. I do free webinars throughout the year. I announce when I'm teaching classes and what conferences I'm going to, etc. If you want to send me a direct email, my email address is dr. period so doctor period miller at kimberlymillerconsulting.com. Thanks again for having me. I look forward to being on a future podcast and I wish everybody a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and much success in 2019 in managing your stress and being more intentional about taking care of yourself. Well, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you. I appreciate you coming back on and I look forward to having more podcasts with you about a whole bunch of different topics. And if you missed her previous podcast about compassion fatigue and you want to learn a little bit more about the bucket analogy, you can also find Kim's previous podcast at youroxygenmaskfirst.com as well as links to her page. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And I hope that you found something that really resonates with you. I can't wait to share even more. So please subscribe to the podcast and you can find links to our resources in the description and at youroxygenmaskfirst.com.